So one of the things that we're going to be looking at tonight is kind of the opposite end of dispensationalism, which was covenant theology. And I'm just going to summarize covenant theology for you. But we're not going to go too far down that track because there's a major um, issue with it because it's going to get us into um, eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times. So basically, if you're, if you, now dispensationalism and covenant theology is the way that you understand who you are in the Bible. That's based, you're going to be on one of those two camps. It's kind of like Baptist and Anabaptist. There's no O Baptist. You either are Baptist or Anabaptist. Um, and actually, in all actuality, when, uh, like the church down here, these two churches are Baptist churches. Technically, they're what we call Anabaptist churches. That means that salvation takes part, uh, that salvation takes place apart from baptism, okay? That's what a true Baptist church is, and that's what we believe. But there are Baptist churches that are Baptist churches, not Anabaptist. That means they're more reformed. So, this covenant theology is kind of where that is. Now, covenant theology, let me explain it to you. We see that God operated different after the cross, right? The covenant theology believes that God made a covenant with Abraham. And you, you remember that? In Abraham's seed? Okay. What they believe is at the cross, the church became Israel is what they believe. So they don't believe there's anything as a national Israel anymore. They don't believe that there's anything as a Jew anymore. They don't believe that Israelites exist anymore. They believe that the church is Israel. And so that covenant theology is sometimes called replacement theology. It's where the church replaces Israel. And everything that God promised Israel is what God promises the church. So there's a few uh, there's a few issues because um, in eschatology, I told you it's going to cause problems because they don't believe that the people that are over there with that star of David on their flag are Jews. They don't believe that. They believe that they're imposters, and so it creates a lot of a lot of eschatology issues because we we know. You know, whenever the Antichrist comes, there's going to be the battle of Armageddon and all the nations are going to come against Israel. Well, they think that everything in Revelations kind of already happened and they spiritualize it. So when you think about the Antichrist and all the armies coming against Israel, well, if you're Israel, that would mean that you're being attacked spiritually. You see what I'm saying? They spiritualize those things. But so... We, we don't really have a problem thinking that we're Israel. <laughs> you know, we understand that God still loves Israel. And if you ever have any question on that, all you got to do is read Romans chapter 9 through 11. Paul makes it explicitly clear that God loves Israel. He said he yearned for Israel. Um, and But the problem was they wanted to be saved, but by their works and not by faith. And that's the only reason why they're not in the kingdom right now. But there's going to be a day when they look on him whom they've pierced. Amen? Whenever Jesus returns. And the Bible says all Israel shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. So there's in the prophecies that God made to Israel, 
um, are theirs. God is going to restore them to the land. God is going to do all these great, and you see the fulfillments there. Um, so these two camps really make up the broad spectrum about how people see who they are in the Bible. And the important thing that I want you to see about that is that you can take these views to an extreme on both ends. A dispensationalist, um, a, a dispensationalist, I told you earlier, will cut out Hebrews through Revelation out of their Bible because they believe that's for the tribulation saints. Okay, And then a, a replacement theology person might go to the total opposite extreme and begin persecuting the Jews and hating the Jews and just like Adolf Hitler did, okay? Um, that's where those, when you go to extremes, you get into a ditch on both sides, okay? And that's one of the things I'm wanting you to see about the Bible as we get into these things, into these deeper truths. And most people don't realize this. Martin Luther, though he was great, he instituted the Reformation time, he nailed those 95 theses to the, to the church door. But you know what? He despised the Jews. I mean, he, he called them every name in the book. He hated them with a passion because of this kind of theology. So um, it, it, you have to be centered on what the Bible says, okay? And once you start getting into extremes, you're probably going in the wrong direction. Isn't that true in everything once you get into those extremes? And so the, the Bible has a, a, a path that we're supposed to be on. Well, why I'm giving you this is because what we're going to talk about tonight is very important. And people fall in both sides of the ditch on this issue. And it kind of sums up this whole thing. Um, on Monday night prayer, I think it was Monday night prayer. We were talking about something, and I believe it was you, Brother Free, said something about this pastor, said the Old Testament, the law, didn't apply to us anymore. Was that Monday night that you said that? Okay. Well, he didn't know, but that's, you know, what we're talking about tonight. Um, there, And I'll tell you, this pastor in, I think it's either South Carolina or Georgia, he is a, um, his name is Andy Stanley, is the son of Charles Stanley, okay? Great minister, uh, not knocking him at all. But what he said was the Old Testament law no longer applies to the church. Why did he say that? He didn't say it out of the blue. I'll tell you why he said it. Because their state, I think it is Georgia, their state is trying to raise a monument to the Ten Commandments and to place them outdoors, right? And they're getting fought by the atheists and the worldly folks like crazy and Andy Stanley's trying to make peace with everybody and he's saying well look I mean why are we even doing that because the Old Testament law doesn't even apply to us anyways so there's and and so that's what I'm going to bring out tonight is what role does the Old Testament law play in our lives in the New Testament that's what we're going to talk about tonight that's what we're going to look at because it's very important. The law plays an important role in our lives. We always say, well, we're not bound by the law. We're not, but it, it plays a role. And so we can't just say, you know, we've got to throw out the Old Testament law because you can't do that. And I'm going to show you why. But here is something that's very important um, as we get into this tonight is I, wanted, I want you to see that there's a ditch on both sides, right? 
there's, there's, okay, if we're looking at the law, there's a ditch on this side that this guy articulated. We don't need the law, throw it out. There's no sense in having it. You know, it doesn't do anything for us. Then there's the other side of the law where people are wearing funny hats and strings on them and not eating pork, okay? So there's, there's, there's two different extremes. And one of the things that we've got to understand is how to hold things in tension and how to interpret the Bible correctly, okay? So um, holding things in tension is very important in the Bible. When God says something in this place, and you see something that looks like it may contradict it over here, it's not a contradiction. It just means you don't have that layer of understanding yet. They're both true. They're both true. Um, one of the most famous ministers in America, his name was Jonathan Edwards, okay? He preached the most famous sermon in America, which was uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God. In fact, it was so powerful, they said that the people that listened to it uh, were clenching the pews because they thought they might slip into hell. It was just very powerful. Well, um, Jonathan Edwards, he had a system. Whenever he would come in the Bible and he would see something that kind of looked like it contradicted something he thought or he didn't understand it, he would write it in his journal, and it was unresolved. And then as he would keep reading the Bible, he would, find under, he would find the answer for one of those things. And he had resolved. And he had, so he had an unresolved and a resolved. And that's the way we should approach things. It's just, you know, just because we don't understand it doesn't mean, you know, that it's not true or whatever. Or you got to throw it to the side. You got to hold those things in tension. So what role does the law play in our lives? Well, let's first look at the law and the importance that it plays in Psalm 19 and verse 7. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Psalm 19, and we're going to look down in verse number 7. Now, if you went through our Way of the Master course that we took on evangelism here, you remember this verse. And the verse says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. So this verse is true. The, the, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. And one of the things that we learned in our evangelism class and that we know is true is that the law is useful because it brings conversion. One of the problems that we see in, in people's lives, and um, y'all know one of my favorite ministers, Leonard Ravenhill, um, he said that he wished that every radio preacher um, and TV preacher would preach judgment for about three years, then preach grace. Because the problem is if, if you tell everybody that they need to be saved, but nobody thinks that they're bad. Nobody thinks they deserve to go to hell. Nobody thinks they're bad. So when you tell them that, that Jesus saves and that they need to be saved, save from what, they say? Save from what? I'm a good person. I've never murdered anybody. I've never stolen anything. I'm, you know, well, I stole that one thing in high school, but after that, well, I stole that. Well, never mind, but I never murdered anybody. But, but I, I mean, I hated them in my heart, but I know, you see how it goes? 
But people will justify all the time. But the law is perfect converting the soul. So we, why is it perfect for converting the soul? It's because it gets us to a point where we know we need to be saved. Okay? Just that's the simple, uh, plain understanding of it. Um, let me take you to a couple of places of Scripture, and then we're going to show how this applies to us. So first off, um, let's go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter number 3. So we're going we're gonna to go back into the New Testament. And by the end of this, you're going to know exactly why and how and what role the, New, the, the, the Old Testament law plays in the New Testament. So here in Romans chapter 3, I'm going to try to condense this down. So we'll start. Let's just start with verse 10, but then I'm going to skip down. It's just an important verse to hit. Well, let's, let's start with 9. It says, what then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. This is the role of the law. This is what you're going to see right here. The law shows you that you're under sin. That's the role. Continuing into verse number 10, it says, As it's written, there is none righteous, no, not one. So by the time the law gets done with you, you feel like you are a mess. By the time, if the law has its perfect way in your life, you realize you're helpless, point blank. You realize that you're condemned and on your way to hell. That's the role. Now watch this. Skip down to verse number um, 18. It says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And if you read this whole, this whole passage, it just kind of goes into some different things. Um, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know what things soever the law saith, it says to them that are under the law. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's, your, that's, that's the linchpin for what the law does in a person's life. It shows us beyond a shadow of a doubt that it, now earlier we saw that Jews and Gentiles, right, were under sin. And all of them, that their mouths may be stopped and that the whole world may be guilty. Okay, so if every, every mouth is stopped, if every mouth is stopped and the whole world's guilty, nobody can stand up and say, look what I've done. If, if the whole world stands guilty before God, everybody needs help. This is why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, right? Who what? Who takes away the sin of the world, of the world. But you see, the world stands guilty before God. Everybody stands guilty before God because nobody has been able to live a holy and righteous life according to the law. Perfect in every way. Now, sometimes people may say, well, you know, the Bible says that Elizabeth and, and Zacharias, they were righteous, right? They were righteous. You know what made them righteous? 
whenever they sinned, they took a sacrifice. It's not that they never sinned. It's when they sinned, they took a sacrifice. And so they, they obeyed the law, but they still had sin. And I, I showed you, Jews and Gentiles, it says, were under sin. And your mouth is stopped. The whole world's guilty before God because we know we're guilty. We know we have things in our hearts. This is why, you know, Jeremiah said the heart, that that's where all that evil comes from is the heart. We know our hearts are corrupt. We know our hearts needs changed. We'll think bad thoughts in our mind. Well, even sometimes during worship, you may have a thought you wouldn't want displayed. I've heard a preacher say that, you know, if they could hook up, you know, your brain up to the screen, you know, everybody'd be running out. Because sometimes we get those thoughts that just pop through our mind that are ungodly. Amen? And so we recognize the fact that we're housed in earthen vessels, and we need God's touch. And the fact that you, the fact that you go to church, that you study the Word of God, that you belong to the family of God, shows God that you know that you need Him. It shows your dependence on Him. And you see, the thing about studying the Word of God is it helps you grow. This is, this is one of the things that helps you grow. It, it, it makes you stronger. It provides depth to your walk with God. God is going to be able to draw on Bible studies that you go to, that you participate in. God's going to be able to draw on those things later on in your life when you need those things. He'll be able to bring them to your attention and, and help keep you on the straight and narrow path. And some of us need more help than others. Amen. So let's continue in. We, we stopped on verse number 19, but look at verse number 20. It says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law, and the prophets, even, and that's, you know, that specifically, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, the righteousness of God without the law is appeared, and it's appeared by, by believing on Jesus. No person is made righteous by the law. The only righteousness that's available is the righteousness apart from the law. That's what, that's what these verses are telling us. Nobody is made righteous by the law. Nobody's made righteous by the law. The law doesn't make righteous. The law makes you a sinner. It is by faith, it is believing that makes you righteous. That's what that verse says, because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, if people didn't sin, there wouldn't need to be law. But because people sin, there has to be law so that they know they're a lawbreaker. And that's the role that the law plays in our lives. And we're going to... Um, demonstrate this for you in just a few minutes now let's go let me take you to just one more place and then we're going to get into our practical application of this go to Romans chapter 10 since we're already in Romans 
Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Well, um, go up into chapter 9 and, and look at verse number 30. Let's just do that. This is, this is very important. It says, what shall we say then? That the Gentiles, that's you, which followed not after righteousness, that means you didn't have the Torah system, basically, which follow not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. You see what? The Gentiles are made righteous by faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Isn't that odd? They, they had the system. They had the system, and they thought the system made them righteous. But the system was devised to make them know that they're sinners. But they thought it's the same thing as this. It, it, let me bring it into our vernacular. This is the same thing as people who think that they're right with God just because they go to church. Same thing. They thought, hey, I'm in the system. I'm a part of the system. The system, I'm part of the system. But the system doesn't do anything. The system leads you somewhere. And see, going to church doesn't do anything. It's supposed to lead you somewhere. It's supposed to lead you to the cross. And, and so watch this, this next verse. Um, it says that they had not attained to the law of righteousness, wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. See that? They, were, they, they thought that by their works they were attaining righteousness. That's what they thought. But with God, that's not possible because you can't work your way into the kingdom. You can't work your way up the ladder to heaven. It's not possible with God. God's too holy. God's too set apart. And you're too sinful. So no matter how hard you work, you can't work your way into heaven. It's got to be that you trust what Jesus did on the cross. The work that he performed on the cross by being our sinless sacrifice, dying and raising from the dead on the third day provides all the work that's necessary for our salvation, for our daily victories. That's what we need. That's the work of God. That's what he's calling us to believe on. And that's what they didn't get. They thought it was about their works, okay? But do you see how this kind of plays into the church a little bit? Because we think that we're right because of our works, right? We, some people do. I know that there's, I know a lot of people, they'll go to church, you know, a long time, and they, they'll, but they never actually got saved. You know, it happens. I, you know, I was like that for a, a time period in my life. I th thought I'm just supposed to go to church. Just, you know, that's what I'm supposed to do. But it's by faith that we're saved, right? This is Ephesians chapter 2. By grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the, th the thing that's important whenever you're looking at the law is looking at salvation it's perfect for converting the soul. It's perfect for converting the soul. And the main, the main thing that it does 
is it shows the whole world that they're sinners. It says that their mouth may be stopped and that the whole world be guilty, right? That's what the law does because, um, so let's just kind of use our point of reference as we started out. This pastor said that the Old Testament law, you know, it doesn't apply to us, right? So we should just throw it out. Well, no, it plays a role because if you're going to tell somebody they're a sinner, you're going to tell somebody they need to be saved, saved from what? Well, you've broken all of God's laws, right? You've broken them all. If you, the Bible says if you've broken one, you've broken them all. And you can show them that verse in James. You've broken one, you broke them all. And so the, the thing about the law is it shows us that we're sinners, okay? If you try to show somebody that they're a sinner without the law, you're going to have a mighty hard time. It's like talking to mud. You're just going to be doing all kinds of crazy stuff. It's the law. That I, we saw that, right? The law is perfect, converting the soul. That's how we know that we're corrupt. When the Bible says, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not lust, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not murder, and you know you've got those things in your heart or you know you've done those things, you know you've got a problem. The second problem is what's going to happen, Right? What's going to happen when you die if you die in your sin? That's the other part. That's where you introduce them to Jesus, right? So let's, let's look at how this, uh, how this application works. Uh, well, while we're here, uh, look at this verse in, in verse number 4 of chapter 10, because this is where I wanted to take you. It says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Amen? Amen. So that, what that lets you know is if you're in Christ, you've come to the end of the law. If you're in Christ, you've come to the end, okay? Now hold on to that. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and follow this on through. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse number 3. So 1 Timothy 1, beginning in verse... Now this part, you have Paul, and Paul is the apostle to the who? Okay, so Paul's the apostle to the Gentiles or the apostle to the church. And, and, and that's important. You need to remember that's important. Peter went to the, to the Jews and Paul went to the Gentiles. Um, this is important to remember because here you have Paul writing a letter. And the letters that Paul writes get spread to the other churches. So this is coming to Gentiles. So what he's, what he's explaining is for a Gentile church like us. Okay? What he's explaining is for a Gentile church just like us. And so beginning in verse number 3, he says, As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So obviously they had some, some people starting to teach some wrong stuff. That's been going on since... Time began, okay? And, and, and the Bible says that, that there will be false teachers, it says, that will rise up from among you. That means that if, if, if somebody is not minding their P's and Q's, if somebody's not centered on the cross, they're, they're very likely for God to send them a delusion, right? And they may be raised up and start teaching false stuff. 
That's why you've always got to guard anything a preacher or teacher says and filter it through the Word of God. It's got to be filtered through it. That's the only way you can defeat a false teacher from, from deceiving you, okay? So, anyways, he says that they were beginning to teach, uh, that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies. Now, what's a fable? Fairy tale. Let me tell you, let me break it down for you this way. If, if somebody starts telling you about the book of Enoch or um, who was Adam's first wife and all this kind of, that's all fables. That's all fables. That's Jewish fables, okay? Um, all that kind of stuff is extra biblical and the, there's no basis for it. It's the same, let me, I'll tell you like this, it's the same thing as, as uh, those people that um, think that Whatever month they're born in, they have a certain sign in the stars, okay? Who came up with that? That's a fable. There's, no, there's, not, there's nothing for that. Oh, I'm a this or I'm a that. Somebody told you that. You, you wouldn't, if, if they wouldn't have told you that, you would have never known that. It's just, it's a fable. It's, there's, no, it's, there's no foundation for it at all. And it's the same thing with the book of Enoch. It's the same thing with, with all these stories in the Bible about, well, who was Adam's first wife? And, well, and you're going, well, Eve was. And they're like, nah-uh-uh. And so they're taking you to a fable, okay? And these are all fables that exist. Um, what about, I mean, all kinds of stuff, right? All kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of crazy stuff out there. Yeah, the... the the Apocrypha is interesting. That's a good, a, good, um, a good question. How many of y'all have heard of the Apocrypha? Raise your hand if you've heard of it. Okay. Um, the Apocrypha is part of what we call the Catholic Bible. Okay. Um, the Apocrypha is part of what we call the Catholic Bible. It has um, uh, Susanna and some extra parts of Daniel and different things like that. So what is it? The Apocrypha is the Apocrypha. It, it was never included in the Old or the New Testaments. When, when the Bible was being formed, okay, um, it was written, the Apocrypha was put in, put in the middle, but it was kind of like maps. You know, maps, sometimes borders change and things like that. Well, what the Apocrypha is were, it was kind of like um, religious stories, fairy tales kind of thing but it was never included in the canon, okay? The canon is the, um, is the 39 old and the 27 new. That's the canon. The Apocrypha never one time in its life was ever included in the Old Testament or in the new. It was always apart from it. So it's kind of like in um, some Bibles, like you'll go to Scotland and you'll see this. Um, in the back of the Bible, they'll have a hymnal, Okay? They'll have two, 300 hymns in the back of the Bible in Scotland. Well, what is that? Are they saying that that's part of the Bible? Or are they saying that that's scripture? No, they just included it because they wanted everything in one volume. Okay? And it's the same thing with the Apocrypha. The Apoc nobody ever considered the Apocrypha to be, to be holy writ. Okay? It was never Old Testament or New Testament. It was always in a section by itself. 
just like those kind of things. So, um, and that's why in the name Apocrypha, it actually, um, it, it designates it as not scripture. So it's different than scripture. It's just literature, basically. Um, and, and that's a very important question um, because there's going to be times that people may bring Apocrypha verses to you. But you, every Apocrypha verse, you filter it through the word of God. Whenever somebody brings, whenever somebody tells you Adam had a first wife, filter it through the word of God. Say, no, he didn't. Whenever somebody says, you know, the book of Enoch describes this and that, just filter it through the word of God. Say, no, it's got to filter through the word of God, okay? That's, that's the, the only way, that's the only way you're not going to be deceived. Because if you don't, somebody's going to come up with a good enough YouTube video that'll get you. Somebody's going to say it smooth enough to get you. So you've got you've to be, for, you know, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And it's to prepare you for deception. So the important thing is to know how to filter those things through the word of God. So, well, I keep saying that, but just as something interesting, you know, there's a Jewish fable, fable, that's what we're talking about, fable, that um, Adam had a first wife named Lilith. That was, that's a Jewish fable. And it, it actually creates a whole different race of people. And it's called a serpent seed, okay, a serpent seed. And it's a, a very mean teaching, really. Um, but whenever you get into um, things that you shouldn't get into, they'll start bringing up that person. So um, just, just to show you, those fables will lead you on some dark paths. But it's, and it's interesting, too, that those fables like that, um, those same characters are the same characters that people in witchcraft and different things like that use. It's very interesting, okay? Uh, and, and the reason it's interesting is because once you start deviating from the Word of God, that's right where they want to take you to, okay? So um, these warnings that Paul's giving here is that they teach no other doctrine not to give heed to fables and endless genealogy. So if you need to know something about God, guess what? It's going to be in here. No fables or endless genealogies. I'm the son of, he's the son of, we're the son of. You know, um, there's uh, Hebrew Israel, right? It's all about race and genealogy, and I'm from this family and that family and this, and we've done a DNA test, and that's who. Look. We are who we are. We're either in Christ or we're not in Christ. We're either saved or we're not. And so we're, we're commanded to take not heed to fables or endless genealogies, continuing on, which minister questions. They, you know, whenever you get into that, it's, that's what those things do. They get you to question your salvation. Amen. Amen. You see that through the Bible. You see that in Acts, you know. It's simple. Remember the Philippian jailer? What must I do to be saved, right? Believe. That's it. Believe. And yet everybody makes it all hard, you know. Everybody makes it all hard. Um, but that's a very good point. And you're always going to have people coming at you, and, and what it's going to do is those things will gender questions 
unless you hold fast to the word of God, if unless you hold fast to the word of God, it's always going to produce those things. You know, you see inside the church, there's uh, the church is being attacked on all fronts right now, and and there's attacks coming from within through false teachings, and a, a, a lot of new age teachings are are invading the church, and they're putting biblical names on them. Okay, um, but you but if somebody like if I told you right. There was a, a famous bestseller book called Circle Maker. You make a circle and you pray in it. Do you know that there's churches all over this town that they went through that Bible study and they do that stuff? But you know that's not biblical. You know that's you know what that is? That's witchcraft. But it's in the church. It's new age stuff that that the devil is bringing into the church because we're too either we're too good for or too ignorant of the word of God. And it's not good enough anymore for some reason for some people. But that's what will keep you from error. And if these people had been founded in the word of God, they would say, well, there's nothing in the Bible about doing that. That's not how our prayers are heard. God hears the prayers of the righteous, not the circle maker. That's what the Bible says. So, you know, that's, that's um, it's so important to remember those things. Okay, continuing on. They minister questions. Now, very important. Anytime somebody brings to you a strange doctrine, it's going to cause you to question. Okay? But I want to show you what Paul would rather have happen. Look at that. Rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. This is what Paul would rather you do. This is what he would rather you do godly edifying which is in faith you know what edifying is edifying is building edifying is building it is placing a foundation that you can stand on it's giving you something that'll be with you in the midnight hour edifying is something that builds the church together it, it interlocks our hearts through faith in Christ and, and edifying is what gives us legs under us so that we can stand in the day of testing. When, when you learn things, when you learn truths about how to pray, how to persevere, how to believe, you know, just all those things that we learn. Like on Sunday, we, we, we had a message about God is our comforter, right? You remember that? God is our comforter. What does that do? That gives you a foundation. It edifies you. It builds you up because there's going to be a day in an hour when we need comfort. Amen. There's going to be a day in an hour when, when everything's falling apart in our lives and we need the steady hand of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why it's so important to have this edifying takes place. And, and, and I'll remind you, that's what Paul said in Ephesians when he talked about... Um, there's apostles and prophets, right, and, and, and pastors. And all this stuff. For what? For the edification of the saints. For the perfecting of the ministry. For the edification of the saints to build them up. He said, into the perfect man of God, that we would be built up, no longer babes, but built up. What builds us up? The word of God, the truth. That's what gives us a firm foundation to stand on. And when people try to lead you astray, that's where it is. So, um, look in verse number five. He said, now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart 
and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling. <laughs> now, nitty-gritty part about the law. Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm, I have yet to meet one person who preached the law that actually understood what they was talking about. I'll tell you, it's very simple. Very simple. The, the, there's so many different ways that you can look at it and you can tell that they have no idea what they're talking about. They have no idea. It's kind of like whenever I was a kid, I wanted to be, you know, Indiana Jones, so I carried a bullwhip. I had no idea what I was doing with that thing. I was cutting myself and everything in my path. But I was dressed up because that's what I wanted to be. And that's what these people that desire to be teachers of the law, they have no idea what they're talking about. One of the, one of the main fixed commandments in the law was that... Um, there were certain feasts every time of the year they had to go to Israel, right? And observe the feast. And you know how I know these people are? Because they will observe, they will quote unquote observe the feast in their backyards in America. That's not observing the feast. It's three times a year. Your passport should be stamped three times a year. And it's not. Why? Well, when those they'll make up all kinds of excuses, but God didn't give an excuse. He just said, if you're an Israelite, you keep the law, you keep the Torah, you go over to Israel, you go to Jerusalem and present yourself three times a year and observe right there. They don't do it. So just that tells you right there, they have no idea what they're doing. Observing the Sabbath. Let's talk about that. Just quick, observing the Sabbath. Well, if you go to church on Sunday, that means you didn't observe the Sabbath on Saturday. Well, no, it doesn't. Observing the Sabbath is different words than going to church. Observing, there was no command to go to church. That's not what that command is. That's not what that command is. In the New Testament, we have applications for going to church. It says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Old Testament, there's no command to go to church. There's not a command. That's not what the Sabbath is about. The Sabbath was about recognizing that God made the whole world, that God owns everything, and, and that God rested, right? And we rest in Christ. But the, the fact that people equate the two shows you they have no idea what they're talking about. And that's what Paul's saying. He said these people that desire this stuff, they desire to be teachers of the law, understand neither what they say, nor whether whereof they affirm. But we know, this is what we know, okay? New Testament. But we know that the law is good. Isn't the law good? So this is what that minister over there in Georgia needs to hear. <laughs> this verse right here. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, the law is not made for a righteous man but for the lawless and the disobedient. Now, pause. 
the law is not for the righteous man. How are you made righteous? How are you made righteous? Through faith in Jesus, right? Okay, we read Romans 10, 4. It said Christ is the end of the law, right? For those that are righteous in him. Christ is the end of the law for those that are righteous in him. The law, it says right here, is not for the righteous. You know what that means? You know what that means? That we're, we're the righteous aren't bound to it. What is it for then? It's for the lawless and the disobedient. Do you see the difference now? What's the purpose of the law? It's to show men that they're sinners. It's not to keep the righteous on a hamster wheel. That's what people use it as. That's, that's why Israel missed it. They used the law as a hamster wheel to keep people on the road to righteousness. There is no road to righteousness. There's the cross for righteousness. The hamster wheel is not the road to righteousness, and that's what they used it as. Once you're righteous, you're righteous. But the law is for the unrighteous. See what it says here? The lawless and the disobedient. Picking it up, it says, uh, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy, profane, for murderers or fathers, murderers of mothers, manslayers, whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind. Now, that's homosexuality. Men-stealers, liars, perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So, what role does the law play in the New Testament time period? We're in the New Covenant. We're in the New Testament. The law plays a vital role because it tells men that they're sinners. That's the role. It leads us to the cross. It leads us to realize that we need to be saved. That's what the law does. That's why we started with Psalm 19. It says the law is perfect, converting the soul. So what role does it play? You would not know that you're a sinner if it wasn't for the law. That's it. Just that's, you would not know you're a sinner if it wasn't for the law. I'll show you in Romans chapter 7 real quick. Go to verse 1 in Romans 7. We're going to try to go through this one pretty quick. This, very important. Watch this. Now, this is Paul talking here. He says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now, here's a correlation that he's going to bring. In, in what he's, the, 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 um, so what he's saying is, as long as you're alive, the law is over you, okay? But, but for us that live the crucified life, something's different, okay? If you live a crucified life, something's different. But for those people who are just alive, they're bound by the law. Watch this. Here's the correlation in verse number two. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she's loosed from the law of her husband. 
See the correlation? You're, you're the woman in that scenario. The law is the husband in that scenario. Okay? As long as you're alive, you're bound to them. Right? You're bound to them. Now watch this. So, if, so then if while her husband lives, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. You know who you're married to? You're married to Christ. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. This, this, is, this is where everything kickstarts, okay? This is where everything kickstarts. Just like uh, there was a death that transpired that released that woman from her husband so she could go and marry another husband, right? The Bible said if, 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 if her husband was still alive, she'd be an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she goes and marries another man. She's not an adulteress, right? In the same way, we're talking about the law, okay? We're talking about the law. In verse number four, my brethren, you also are become, you are become dead to the law by the body of Christ that you should be married to another. So because you participate, because you participate by faith in his death, you then are connected to his life. Okay? Because you participate by faith in his death, I come to the cross, right? Lay myself down. Repent of my sins. He's the Lord of my life. I give myself to you, right? This is, this is Galatians chapter 2 uh, when Paul describes a crucified life to a T. Dead to the law by the body of Christ that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. Who's that? That we should bring forth fruit unto God. So the, the deal is that we, we are separated from the law because we died in Christ by faith. Now, if you, if you haven't, if you have not, as Paul describes in Galatians 2, you know, died, if you haven't been crucified with Christ, and, and then say, well, never, yet I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, if you haven't got to that point yet, you still here. You still got a spouse over here called the law. It's only when you come to the cross and you say, wow, he died for me. I want to die for you, Lord. Here I am. I don't live for me anymore. I'm yours. It's not about me anymore. It's all about you. Crucify myself to you. Crucify myself to you. I belong to you now. This is what Paul describes in Galatians 2. And so if we haven't gotten to that point, we're still at the first point. But if we've gotten to that point, guess what? It, then we're dead in Christ. We're freed from that. We're married to another. It says, even to him who was raised from the dead, which is Jesus. 
that we may bring forth fruit unto God. This is how you become fruitful in your walk with God. When you no longer, because look, up until this time, until you, until you get to that place where you're crucified in Christ, up until that time, you're always going to do things for yourself. You're going to seek your own self-interest. You're going to seek your own uh, pride will lift you up. You're going to you know, try to electioneer everything and get everybody to like you and want you and do this and do that. And you're, you're going to be all about you all the time. You know how many times I have conversations with people and sometimes I want to, they used to do this with um, a former president. They would click how many times he said, I, in his speeches. And some people, if you talk to them, you're not going to talk to them about God. You're not going to talk to them about what the Lord's doing in the world today. You're going to talk to them about, I'm just doing this, and I'm just doing that, and I, I can't believe, when am I going to get to do this, and why can't I do you know what that shows you? That shows you that they're either very immature or they're not crucified in Christ. They haven't really come to the end of themselves yet. Because when you're crucified in Christ, then you become married to another. I'm not married to myself no more. I'm not looking out for myself no more. I'm married to him. And it says you can bring forth fruit then. Now I'm putty in his hands. Now, it, just like he told, you know, Jeremiah and Isaiah, I mean, he got those, all his prophets in the Bible. I mean, nobody wanted to be a prophet because God would tell them to do obnoxious things. You know, what about, you know, go, go marry that prostitute. Don't grieve when your wife dies. Go put on that muddy, you know, girdle. God would have his prophets do crazy stuff. Nobody wanted to be a prophet. But you know what? When you belong to God, you're putty in his hands. Okay, God. That's what you want me to do? Okay. That brings forth fruit to God because you're not doing it for self. You're doing it for God. And, and that's the difference. And see, the law brings us to this place. The law brings us to that place where we recognize we're sinners and we recognize we need a Savior and once we receive a Savior, that's when we enter into this crucified life. This is why, this is why we, we talk about the crucified life a lot. This is why we do, because most people don't know anything about it. I mean, how many times in your life have you heard that phrase? Not many. Sure not as many times as grace. Not knocking grace, I love grace, but sure not talk, you sure don't hear the crucified life as much as you hear that. But it's just as biblical. And in order to bring fruit unto God, that's where you're going to have to be. Now, a couple of more verses to close, to kind of wind it down. Just uh, follow with me into verse 5. It says, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Now, Romans 7 is probably one of the hardest chapters other than Revelation to understand. Um, but what you want to see here is that there were things in your life that always brought forth death, right? When you were in the flesh, okay? This is what I was talking about. These people that, and you know, even, even some church folks are like this. Even some church folks are, everything the church does, they wonder how it affects them. And how they can do this and how they, I mean, it, 
some people are so self-focused and we're supposed to be cross-focused, right? But some people are so self-focused, they can't take their eyes off of themselves to see the beauty of Jesus. And that's a sad place. It's a sad place. So <clears throat> when, uh, when they were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall I say then? What, well, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. You see, this is the kind of, this is that other ditch. This is called antinomianism. Okay, when you don't think the law has any role is what's called an antinomian. Okay, that's where you can do anything you want, anytime you want, all that kind of stuff. That's antinomian, okay, um, apart from the law. Is the law sin? God forbid. This is the other ditch. Remember, the ditch over here is the people with the funny hats and the costumes and all this kind of stuff. And then over here is the people that say law is sin. This is God forbid. There's a, there's a role for both. Okay. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. Oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. Oh, God, I'm a sinner. Please have mercy on me, God. I'm a sinner. How do I know I'm a sinner? By the law. So we can't say that the law, especially this guy was talking about a Ten Commandments monument, we can't say that the law plays no role because the law is how we know that we're sinners. That's how we know we're sinners. If there's no law, we're not sinners. Plain and simple. And if we're not sinners, then nobody needs to be saved. And if nobody needs to be saved, then why did Jesus come? So there's a role. I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. And I'll stop right there. You see, that's the only way you know you're a sinner, because the law says don't, and you do. That's how you know you're a sinner. So what role does the law play? The, role, the law plays is to bring conversion. It's to bring conversion. Now, in the New Testament, we'll close. Well, my watch is broken, so y'all are on free time. Um, so what, what role, let's kind of bring it up into New Testament terminology for a minute, okay? So you have the, the Ten Commandments. You know, Jesus actually expanded on the Ten Commandments, right? The law says you shouldn't murder. Jesus said you shouldn't be angry with your brother, right? So he takes it up a notch. Whereas in the Old Testament, you could grit your teeth and grind your teeth at them and growl at them and be mad at them, right? Be angry with them and all this stuff. And Jesus says, that's, that's murder in your brother in your heart. 
The same thing is, is uh, uh, um, adultery. Don't look on a woman in lust, right? You know, thou shalt not commit adultery. And Jesus says, that's what your law says, but I say unto you. See, Jesus had the authority to elevate it to a higher place. It's written, you shall not commit adultery, but I say unto you, don't even look on a woman in lust. You've committed adultery in your heart. So, whereas in the Old Testament, it was just, you know, as long as you didn't cross the line. As long as you didn't cross the line. Now it's, if you even thought it. If you even thought it. Well, thought what? What line? That's the role of the law, so that you know where you stand. Now, in, in our um in 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 the church let's look at this as we close the law um we have what we call commands in the new testament commands they're not thou shalt not for the most part but they are just as weighty just as weighty the commands of the new testament believe on the lord jesus Right? That's the command. Um, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Love your brother, love, love your sister, right? And in the Lord, pray for one another. These are commands. These are things we're commanded to do. Love one another. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. A lot of times we think of those things as, yeah, I think I'd be a better Christian if I did love my brother or sister. But it's not a suggestion. It's a command. And the commands of God are laws, their are laws. The laws, you know, what, what really trips people up is when you say the word law, we go back to the Mosaic law. But that's not true. Anything God says is a law. When God told Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was a law. It, it wasn't the Mosaic law. It wasn't a Ten Commandment law. But when God said don't do it, it's a law. And so just because it's not in the Mosaic, now we're in the New Testament, we still have commands. Don't look on a woman in lust. Don't be angry with somebody, right? Don't, you know, don't stop going to church. Don't, don't do this. Don't do that. Love one another. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. All these kinds of things. Be a cheerful giver. It's not a suggestion. It, it, I mean, you go all the way down the list of all these things. And these are, um, these are the things that guide the body of Christ. And it all hinges on how you view the law. So let's just look at the law in summary. You got one group over here that says you have to obey, you know, the Old Testament law. You have one group over here that says it doesn't apply to us at all. And then right there in the middle is where you see the truth, and that is, you don't even know that you're a sinner unless there's the law. But once, once you're dead in Christ, you're no longer bound to it. He's the end of it. Then you start producing fruit unto God. It's just, it, it takes you, it elevates you to a place where you start walking with God, okay, and not on this hamster wheel. What makes us righteous? So uh, there's a couple of things that I could probably just continue on into, but it's time to close up. Um, does anybody have any questions about the law at all? Yeah, that's exactly right.
That's what he says. He says the law is a schoolmaster and it leads us to Christ. Yeah, the law is the schoolmaster that leads us to Christ because the law shows you that you can't do it. it shows you that you're not right. And and you know even if you started doing better, you're still you've still got issues. So you've got to come to the end of yourself, which is uh, being dead in Christ, dead to sin, and alive under righteousness. And there's a lot of there's a lot of old fashioned theological truths in that. Um, talking about the crucified life, if you want to, if 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 God kind of hit home on you, read Romans four through six. Read Romans four through six. If God's kind of dealing with you on that, just stay in that stay in that place, and then read Galatians two, three, and four. That will help you understand the crucified life. So Romans four through six, and then Galatians two through four. Um, that will really kind of nail down that part. But yeah, that's, I mean, and that's in that verse. That's in Galatians. That you know, the law is a schoolmaster, brings us to Christ. So um, whenever you hear these off the wall statements um, like this pastor made, um, there's that's this ditch over here, right? But the reason why I wanted to point it out to you is because it kind of goes along with what we've been talking about, and um, and that's that movement's going to grow, okay? That movement's going to grow. Both ditches are growing, honestly. To be honest with you, this ditch is growing in the church, and this ditch is growing. The, um, this one's going to pull you out of the church, and this one's going to turn the church into a ditch. The easiest way I know to say it. So you want to you want to leave the church, get in this ditch where you think that you're still under Torah, and if you want to go to if you want to turn the church into a disco ball, <laughs> you do that where there's no such thing as law. So, but there's a there's church right there in the middle. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, you know, um, one. I'm just going to read this to you. I, I just want to. Sh- I just want to read this to you because it's it's pretty neat. Um, in in Acts, at the end of Acts, Paul was at the end of his life, and one of the things that he did, he he kept preaching. Right, he didn't go and try to get retirement or nothing like that. Um, but it says uh, that many came to him into his lodging. And to them he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. So see, even Paul, who preaches that we're saved by grace through faith, who preaches this stuff, he, even him, he expounded unto them and persuaded them about Jesus, and he used the law to do it. That's how you let somebody know that they're a sinner. That's how you let them know. That's Acts 28, uh, 23. So, well, praise the Lord. Any other questions before we close?